You guys ready to get in the word tonight? This is a real hungry place. I could see it all over your faces. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say this with me. I am not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by anything in this earth. I am only moved by him. And it is in him that I live and I move and I have my being. Hallelujah. Say this with me. I'm going over, never under. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Well, we're going to continue on this series, How to Win Every Faith Battle. This is so important that you and I learn how to literally get in faith, stay in faith, and have everything that he's promised us, everything that he's given us by his grace manifest in our life here now, right? It's very important. And the Bible lays out principles that you must know to win every faith battle. You know, there, there's principles in the Word of God. Like, like as an example, if you don't know God's plan for your life, it, 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 or I'm sorry, let me say it this way. If you don't present your body a living and holy sacrifice and renew your mind with the Word of God, if you don't do that, it's impossible for you to know God's plan for your life and ever walk it out. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible for God to, his blessing of finances to come into your life if you don't sow. There's things, it's just black and white things. Do you know it's impossible for you to ever, ever have your faith operate if you don't walk in forgiveness and walk in love? Because faith works by love. So there's certain things. So there's certain principles that can ensure that you win every faith battle. And remember, the faith battle is not like you got to kick Satan in the face and overcome him. He's already been overcome. He's already defeated. But you have to know certain things so that from the time you say, yes, Father, it is written, I believe I receive my healing, whatever it is, in Jesus' name I thank you, Amen. From that time, you say amen when you've actually received it. You've grabbed hold of it, and now you have it. You possess it. From the time you do that, when you say amen, until the time you see your body physically with no symptoms in it, you see things in this natural realm change to come in line with the Word of God, that is that battle time. First thing, you have to know who your enemy is, right? The enemy is Satan. He is the destroyer. The Old Testament, his name was the destroyer, Apollyon. He, he is the one who walks to and fro in the earth seeking whom he may devour. Right? Notice when he stood before the Lord in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, God says, what have you been up to? He goes, oh, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. Notice he didn't say I've been walking to and fro in the earth seeking whom I may devour. Because back Old Testament, he could devour anyone. But when Jesus came out of the grave, it all changed. Now he can't devour anyone. To be honest with you, he can't even touch you unless he gets you to believe a lie, right? So you have to know who your enemy is. 
and you have to know how he operates. So we're going to review a little bit and then we're going to jump into that third step. But first step, you got to know your enemy. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're just going to go back over a couple of these scriptures. Want to encourage you, this is message 9. So if you want eight hours of teaching on this, I would encourage you, go back, take notes, and really get it in you. You look at something. You know, if you listen to a message between five and ten times, it'll really start to get down on the inside of you. There's some things I've listened to, oh my gosh. There's some things I've listened to probably, like single sermons, 30 times. It really, you start to see some things after 30 times. It's just something about peering in to the Word of God. It changes you because it gets on the inside of you. You know, I, I really want all of you to always be in the Word, but this is what I really, really want. I really want the Word to be in you because that's when it makes a difference. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. They were a young, this is the early church. They really didn't know much about anything, but they knew about the name of Jesus. But even back then, Paul is saying, listen, if you're ignorant of the way Satan operates, of his devices, he can take advantage of you. So we're not ignorant of his devices. This word devices is the Greek word noemata. It means it's an attack against the mind. It literally means mind games or mind schemes, and that's what Satan does. He wants to, he throws thoughts into your mind trying to get you to take them so that he now can start scrambling your mind. You know when you break an egg in a pan, if you do it gently, you could see very clearly what's the yolk and what's the white part because it's kind of clear. But if you take like, like a spatula and you start stirring it up, pretty soon you can't tell what's yolk and what, whatever that other stuff is, right? The egg whites, you can tell I'm a cook. But, but that's what it's talking about. And, and, and you don't want to be, see, you don't want to be a scrambled egg spiritually. What's a scrambled egg spiritually? I know this stuff just comes out. I don't know where it's at. A scrambled egg spiritually, that means you don't know if you're healed or if you're sick. You don't know if God loves you or if he's mad at you. You don't know if he's good or if he's not good. Does that make sense? There's a lot of believers that don't know this stuff. Why? Because Satan is playing mind games. No, to be honest with you, how could God possibly be mad at you? What, why would he be? I mean, he, we see in the Bible he hates sin. So I guess he could be mad at you if you were still in sin. But then, of course, according to Romans, you're not in sin. Do You know that, right? The Bible says your spirit can't even sin. The only reason why you and I ever sin is because we choose to. We choose to allow the sin nature in our flesh to operate through our unrenewed minds. So if I'm not in sin, then you could almost say, gosh, would God ever be mad at me? The answer to that is no. Now, is he pleased with you? 
He is if you walk in faith, because faith is what pleases him. You know why? Because faith is the only way that he can get anything over to you. See, he loves you. Is he good sometime? No, the Bible is very clear he's good all of the time. The Bible says that he is gracious. That means everything about God is about getting over to you and I what he's already given us. He, as bad as you might want to be healed, oh man, he, he wants you to walk in it. He wants you to be blessed financially. I mean, all these things, he wants it so much more than you do. It's really amazing. So we, gotta, we can't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, it says this. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, or in other words, think clearly. Don't, see, God does not want you to live your life based on what you're seeing things as they seem. He wants you to live your life seeing things as they really are. You really are a world overcomer, and Satan really is defeated in your life. Now, it may not look like it outside, but no, no, no. The reality is already done inside, and if you'll believe it and speak it and walk it out, Satan can't stop that from looking on the outside the way it is on the inside. He can't stop it. Because it's a done deal. God's word is forever settled in heaven. He said whoever is born of God in 1 John 5, right, overcomes the world system. It's a continual present tense thing. That means as long as I'm in the world, as long as there is a world system, I will overcome it. Why? Because I'm born of God. But what is the victory that overcomes the world? My faith. My faith is the victory because the victory has already been given to me, I just have to lay hold of it. So that's why faith is the victory. It's the way victory comes to me. Isn't that good news? Be sober, be vigilant. That means be ever on your guard. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, in case you don't know who it is, the Bible clearly, your adversary is the devil. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your boss. It's not the person who maybe abused you. No, the adversary is the devil. He, as a, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. How does he do that? As a roaring lion. He's loud. He's scary on the outside. But see, we are never intimidated by anything that threatens us because I don't, I'm not moved by the outside. I'm moved by the inside where God speaks to my heart, where his peace mounts guard over my heart and mind, where I'm constantly strong in him. I'm being strengthened with him constantly, inwardly. So now I could have a roar going on on the outside, but I have peace and rest on the inside. That's why we come here. That's why we get in the word. This is why we surround ourselves with people in our close circle that are people of faith, who people walk in the love of God, people who are led by the spirit of God because we need each other. Because we're going in, we're already in the promised land, we gotta lay hold of our inheritance. We, gotta, we have to yield all of our fruit in our season, right? This is why we do this. He walks about Ephesians 4.27 says this. 
neither give place to the devil. So now in Ephesians 4.27, the word is telling us that I'm to give Satan no place in my life. So how I do that is follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He will ensure, if you'll obey him, he will literally use the word of God to shed a light. The word of God brings light. He'll shed a light on every door that is open to the enemy in your life that you might not even know about. He'll show you exactly how to give no place to the devil. Do you know, isn't that a good news? Because if he has no place, how can he ever work? He can't. He literally can't work. So we're talking about this. If you go home right now, you have just learned for a child of God, there is a place in God where there is no place for the enemy to work. Oh, he could come, but no weapon that's formed against me will prosper. And if he comes out against me one way, see, this is really cool. The armor of God will keep me face to face with him because he only comes one way. And we know that way. This is part of what we talked about. But what's really cool is he flees seven ways. So that's a fun thing for us. James chapter four, it's kind of like, it's kind of like spiritual surround sound. We get to hear the enemy flee seven ways. Isn't that awesome? He's screaming, and you, then you could hear it far off, and hear it's hilarious. James chapter 4, verse 7, goes on to tell us, James 4, 7, it's, it tells us exactly how we give him no place, it, exactly how we resist him. Step number one, submit yourself to God. That's step number one. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. That means stand against him and oppose him. Right? You can't stand against and oppose him if you're not submitted to God. To be submitted to God, this is what it looks like. You're submitted to his word. So here's, here's your will and here's his word. If, if you live like this, you're in a position now where you could oppose the devil. No, you can't steal that from me. Well, wait a minute, you don't understand. This was already destroyed. Oh, I don't care. Proverbs eleven thirty one. it's got to come back. I serve a God that brings dead things back to life. So it is not over. I know it's over. I know it's over. When is it over for us? When we hear a trumpet. Amen. Or when we step out of our body and we're with Jesus. That's when it's over. So if I do this, I'm never going to be moved by my circumstances again. So I submit myself to God, I resist the devil, and then he flees from me. And the Bible says this word flee means he flees as in terror. Because when you're dressed in the armor of God, guess who you look like? You, you look like him. And you sound like him. Right? You know, I could just see it. We get a picture of that with David and Goliath. See, we learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that when they went into the fiery furnace, they were not alone. I got to tell you, when David was twirling that slingshot at Goliath, that thing was a bullet. Because if you look at, if you look at, if, if this was David's hand, this was God's hand. It was right with them. 
Why? We do, every, he, we do everything with him. Isn't that cool? See, they that know their God will be strong and do exploits. So we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil, and he flees. Now, John chapter 8 and verse 44, it says this. John 8, 44, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. It gives us a picture who Satan is. He was a murderer from the beginning. From the beginning, well, wait a minute, he was an anointed cherub. No, 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 from the beginning when God created the heaven and the earth. See, he was already on this earth. Cast him down. He was cast out of heaven. And abode not in the truth. Satan never abided in the word, and the word never abided in him. Because there is no truth in him. In other words, there's no word of God in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So who is, our, who is the one that's opposing us? He is a liar. He's a liar. He'll tell you you're never going to amount to anything. And you feel like smiling and just going, thank you. Because you're a liar, you just confirmed, right? You know, next week we're going to talk about the fourth step. The third step is, that we're talking about tonight is to maintain a pure heart. We're going to get there. But the fourth step is to refuse doubt and fear. Doubt's a real funny thing. This is how silly this is. So, so many times Christians, Satan talks to them and they get to the point where they're like, you know, I know the word's true and I know God, all this is true. But see, I'm the problem. So you get in a faith battle and it's like, well, maybe I need to do this and maybe I need to... You know, I've got, I got note cards of scriptures that are white, but maybe they need to be scarlet. You know, I mean, crazy stuff, right? You start, you start really micromanaging your faith and all this stuff. Why do you do that? Because something is creating doubt. Why is this not working, Tony? You've been believing God. Why? And by the way, did you notice it's getting worse? And did you notice 25 other people died of the same thing that you're facing? Right? He just constantly constant so he's trying to get you to doubt and you're and a christian sitting here going yeah maybe i didn't receive because now if you haven't received because of something that you're doing why wouldn't he just leave you alone and just let you die why would he come and try to create doubt you're going to learn next week that the, when you get doubt, you need to jump and shout. Because if you have doubt, that means you're on the right track. That means you have laid hold. He's trying to get you to let go of something when all the time you're thinking you haven't grabbed hold of it. Do you see that? This is how ridiculous he is. But I got to tell you, the word of God shines light. The word of God shines light. God has victory for you. He's a liar and the father of it. So now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we talked about the weapons of our warfare. So go to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. It says this, For though we walk in the flesh, you and I are walking in the flesh, 
We do not war after the flesh. So our warfare is never after the flesh. Everybody just needs to sigh real big. Because how many of you face some stress today from in the flesh? You got an email. You had a situation. You could have had some water issues. Whatever it is, right? It, it's, we don't, we, but we don't war in the flesh. Even though, see, it seems so fleshly because it's affecting me, it's not in the flesh. You should write this down. You'll never be able to win a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. Amen. You can't. Satan knows this. He laughs. Stop, Satan. You need to stop. He doesn't care about that. Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Oh, he doesn't like that one. Because the name of Jesus binds him, right? We get spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty only through God. They're mighty through God to the pulling down. This literally word pulling down literally means destruction of strongholds. Our spiritual warfare deals in the realm of the mind. All right? We've talked about this. Satan will attack you. There's three levels of a mental attack for all of us. He'll come and throw thoughts that are contrary to the word of God. He's trying to get you to take that thought. So, Because when you take it, you know you've taken a thought when you start speaking it. Man, I don't know how this is going to work out. My, my body's getting worse. Well, okay, you're taking those thoughts now. And those thoughts, as you speak them, will now mold you. They will mold a vain imagination in your mind. Uh, you'll see, it's like a mini movie. You'll see yourself living and having and doing and being something outside what the Word of God says. And all your behavior comes out of your imagination. So now, once you start acting on these things, right, on these vain imaginations, then Satan will create circumstances so you keep doing it over and over and over because as you walk that out, you build a stronghold. But thank God that the weapons of our warfare destroy strongholds. Speaking the word of God over your life destroys the stronghold. It doesn't break it. See, if something's broken, you can repair it. It destroys it. Look at somebody who's gotten free in an area, you won't even see the scar. To be honest with you, even when they're sharing their testimony, it, to them it's like, that was, that's almost like it happened to somebody else. That's the way it is. Because when God makes you free, you are free. Right? It says here, casting down imaginations. They destroy strongholds. They cast down imaginations. That's, that's the Greek word logismos. It's the logical thinking of a deceived mind. See, the, the spiritual warfare, it's not against Satan. It's all about keeping your thought life right. Remember what I said, Romans 12, 1 and 2? You got to present your body and you got to renew your mind in order to ever find God's plan for your life. Because you got to get rid of this logismos, these vain imaginations. 
And it says, in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. All of these things are ex- coming against the word. Satan doesn't care about you. He wants, to ta- he wants to separate you from your faith. That's all he wants. Because you're done. We're done, right? But the word of God is our lifeline. It's what brings life. Don't ever put pressure on yourself to make something happen, right? Put that pressure on the word of God. It can handle it. That's why faith is a rest. The faith battle is to stay at rest. In the middle of a report that looks really bad, you can be full of joy at peace and at rest in the middle of any battle. That's what we're talking about here. It says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't it amazing when it talks about spiritual weapons? It's talking about your thought life. The biggest battle in our mind is against the doubts and the preconceived notions that God's word is not working or does not work. That's what it always is. So your whole life will come right down to your thought life. It it, it comes right down to it. And this is why we talk about these things. you got to know your enemy. He's coming after your mind. He wants to control your mind because then he knows he can control your destiny. And he can put you in bondage when he has no power because you're actually putting yourself in bondage. Thoughts, we said this before, they come from three areas, right? They come from the people that you associate with or the things that you associate with. They come from the things that you're observing and they come from the people that you're, or the teaching that you sit under, whether on TV, whether here in church, whatever it is. So you gotta be careful who you're associating with, what you're observing, and what you're listening to or watching now, right? So these are very important. Fellowshipping with God What that does, how do we fellowship with God? Through meditating in his word, through spending time with him in prayer. What that does is it enables you and equips you to be able to tell which thoughts are of God and which aren't, right? Because he can make something look really good, but it's just not really good for you. It's not part of his path for you, right? So God wants the real. He wants you not taking any counterfeits, so what happens? How do you get in doubt? How, how do you get there? How do you get deceived? All, it, it all starts with this. When you choose not to believe God's word, that's when deception and doubt is right there. And believing God's word is not some place of euphoria that you, that you arrive at. It's a choice. You choose to either believe it or you choose not to believe it. That's the way it is for everyone. Isn't that simple? Very, very simple. So now let's jump over to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. I just want to read verse 10 through verse 14 because it tells us a lot and we won't spend a lot of time because we've spent a lot of time here. Not enough time. You'll need to spend time here for the rest of your life here on the earth. But go to Ephesians 6.10. It says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong. This is a command in the Greek. 
in the Lord, so we're to be strong in the Lord. The literal Greek would say, be continually strengthened inwardly in the Lord. Notice that superhuman strength is, and power is only found in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, which we have studied out. We know the whole armor of God is revelation of God's word. That's what, that's what the armor of God is. It's revelation knowledge of God's word. That's what the armor is. We're to put the whole armor of God on. That word put on, by the way, is the word, Greek word enduo. It means be endued with the whole armor of God. How do I do that? I meditate in the word day and night. I never let the word leave my, leave my heart or my mouth. And as I do that, I'm being endued with the whole armor of God. It, it, I just live in it. You never, you're never to take it off. Day and night. I'm telling you, the Lord will minister to you. He will keep you full while you sleep. He's faithful. Right? We don't go to bed like, like when I was a little kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then here, here we go with the enemy. And if I should die before I wake, whoa, that's a great thing to say. On a planet that's governed by words. No, 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 no. Satan, forget that. I will not die. Right? And there's no if. There's no if I'm going to live the rest of my days out free from sickness or disease. I've taken the if out of that. Take the if out of it. There's no if, well, if I succeed. If, if I make enough money, then, you know, I'll, I'll do that. No, no, no. Forget the ifs, Right? Let's get the ifs out of our life. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we saw this word stand against, it literally, this Greek word literally means to survey the battlefield. When you are endued with the armor of God, it keeps you. You can see Satan coming from miles away. And that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What, what the wiles of the devil are is he travels down one road, one way. What is that way? We've learned he throws thoughts after thought after thought to penetrate your mind so that he can take you captive by playing mind games. No, no, no. I'm going to stand against him there. I'm going to stand against the wiles of the devil. He has no place in me anymore. Oh, he can throw a thought, but I'm going to take it captive, right? The weapons of my warfare, I'm going to use the word of God and say, no, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's what Jesus did, right? And then it says in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, just always remember that. You can't win a spiritual battle with carnal weapons. But you have been given spiritual weapons and the enemy is defeated. He has no power. He cannot withstand the name of Jesus. He can't withstand it is written. 
The only, the only thing he's going to try to do is get you to let go of the word of God and start trying to figure it out on your own. Then he has you. But here's the good news. You could, you could be doing that for a long time. But then turn back and say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm embracing the word of God. And every door gets shut. We call it repentance. We change our mind. Have you ever had to change your mind? You know, I think I'm not going to be punched in the face by this guy anymore. I think I'm just going to just I think I'm just going to walk in victory from now on. That's how simple it is. It's a decision. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. He's saying it again. Do you think that might be important? Take, it says take unto you. That means I meditate in it day and night. I keep it ever in my mouth. I give it my undivided attention. It's first place in my life. And it's constantly life to those that find it. The Holy Spirit is down on the inside of me right now. And he's quickening my mortal body. What's he using to quicken my mortal body? As he gets me to speak the word of God and I walk around saying I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm healed in the name of Jesus for it is written I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus himself bore my sickness and carried my pain. By his stripes I was healed. See as I'm speaking those words outwardly, inwardly power is being released and he's quickening my mortal body. He's restoring it to health and healing and wholeness. He's restoring my financial life everything about my life. This is, see, this is why the enemy wants you to talk about how much you don't have. Every temptation of Jesus was to show you and I. He, I mean, every temptation, it, what, it was, what, what the word of God tells when it tells that story of Jesus being tempted, every one of them, Satan was trying to get Jesus to consider himself. And that's what he'll do with you. Do you ever notice how all Satan wants to do is talk about you, what you're doing, how you're not enough? Why? Because he's wanting you to become self-aware because when you're aware of self, you're not in faith. Does that make sense? And he can't touch you when you're in faith. So this is so very important. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. It even says in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench how many? All of the fiery darts of the wicked one. You stop every one of Satan's attacks with God's word. See, Satan always tries to reason you out of what is already yours. Right? He'll try to get you to think that you need God to heal you or God to bless you. And there's no scriptures that says for a New Testament believer, God is going to do something to bless us or heal us. There's a whole bunch of them that says he's already done it 2,000 years ago. Now it's a matter of me simply receiving through faith what he's given me by his grace. Satan tries to tell you that you don't have what you already have. Satan will try to tell you that God's word is not true. Satan always tries to talk to you to create confusion and doubt. All designed to get you to doubt God's word. Now I know 
you're probably sitting here maybe and thinking, gosh, how many times is he going to go over this? But remember, it's not about being in the word. It's about the word being in you. And it's about when he comes, are you so ready so that you speak the word? Because when that pain hits your body, or when that creditor calls, or when that, those overwhelming thoughts tell you that I'm not ready for retirement, or whatever it is. I mean, that's amen right there. But seriously, I'm telling you, you gotta be ready with the word of God. You gotta be ready with the word of God. So very, very important. God will always speak to you about what he wants you to know. Years and years ago, I was just crying out to the Lord. I'm like, I need you to talk to me about the plan that you have for my life and, and just all these things. What do you want me to do and all, all this stuff? And the Lord told me, he said, Tony, he goes, what you really want me to do is talk to your mind so that you can feel good, so that you can feel something. And feel close. But he goes, I'm not superficial. He says, I talk to your spirit. And he says, everything you are asking me, I've already said to you in my word. So go to my word and you'll find every answer. And he goes, if there's something else outside of my word that, you, that I need to tell you, I'll tell you. And that, that literally changed everything in my life. Because now... The word of God became more than a formula to me. It was him. And so like literally, when I do this with my Bible, it's like God is saying, what do you want to know? And as I meditate, for the purpose of not finding things out, just for the purpose of knowing him, you find out everything you need. Everything. There's a difference between God showing you things on the inside and Satan speaking to you on the outside. As you grow, as you meditate in the word, as you spend time with him. You know, I, when I talk about this, I don't feel like I can do a very good job in English. But you'll grow to know the difference. And I'm so grateful that God never gave up on me and he'll never give up on you. He'll, he'll just stick with you. Until you get it. Actually, he'll just stick with you. Because there are some people that will never get it. It's amazing. Do you know he even sticks with people that are not his kids? Their whole life, he will prompt them and prompt them and reveal himself to try to get them to give him their life, even though he's all-knowing and knows they won't. That's how good he is. So is it too late for you? Oh my gosh, no. I mean, when, when Jesus said, no, 70 times 7, forgiving, that's basically, Jesus was telling Peter, listen, it's unlimited. How much more, we as God's children? That just excites me. Here's a big key. You identify God's voice by the things that you know on the inside of you. You don't identify God's voice by the things you know outwardly. It's always by things you know inwardly. That's how you identify it. So when Satan throws a thought in my mind, 
literally, it sounds like I could tell it's him. It drives you. Do this or else. It ignites your flesh. You know, with God, it ignites you from the inside. It's wonderful. Principle number two, once you know who your enemy is and how he works, you got to secure God's word on the inside of you. It says in Matthew chapter 4, these temptations, verse 1 through verse 10, I would encourage you to read that again. Because in all the temptations, Satan was trying to come to Jesus to get him to consider something outward. He came questioning and challenging his identity. He wanted Jesus to respond out of what he considered of himself on the inside. He wanted him to all of a sudden, instead of focused on his father, he wanted to get him focused on himself and then respond out of that. That's exactly what he will do with you and I. He'll come to you. He'll question your identity. He'll say, who do you think you are? He'll bring people into your life to say, who do you think you are? Have you ever got that look? Like, oh, you're, you're one of those. Right? I've had people tell me that. Minding my own business, having breakfast in a restaurant. Just felt prompted. Hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray over my food. Can I pray for you for anything? Oh, you're one of those. I, I, said, I, said, I said, young man, I go, you have no idea how much I am one of those. <laughs> I mean, I'm all in. Jesus freak on steroids, right? <laughs> yes. When I was in college, my uh, cultural anthropology professor told me, he goes, oh, you're one of those Christians. You just use God as a crutch. I told him, I mean, here I am, 18 years old. I'm like, listen, dude, I go, God is not my crutch. He's my planet. He's everything, right? But this temptation of Jesus gives you a picture of what Satan will do with you. So very important that you know. Securing God's word on the inside of you. Remember Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's the only way faith comes. So you got to secure, if you're believing God for something and you don't have two or three scriptures that you could confess and just, just say right out loud, hey, it's written here, this is what it says, it's written here, this is what it says, and it's written here, this is what it says. If you can't do that, what are you doing? You're not really in faith. Because here's the thing that you know, whatever you're believing God for, Satan is coming and he's going to say, well, who are you? And I want you to do this. And you're going to have to, he's going to say, hey, who are you? And you're going to have to live with arthritis the rest of your life. He'll get in your face. As a matter of fact, it's going to get worse. As a matter of fact, you're going to lose all capacity of your joints. And you're going to, I, I'm going to hold you up in front of everybody and show everybody how sick and how God is not real. Whatever, you got to be ready to go, oh, no, you're not. You better take your best shot, but I got to tell you, you have no bullets because it's written, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And I condemn your tongue against me right now in Jesus' name. By the way, it's written that whatever I bind in heaven or bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So you're bound. I shut you up now. You got to leave my body 
You got to get out of my life. And I'll tell you, it's written, Jesus bore this arthritis. I'm not bearing it. I don't have to bear it. I've been redeemed, bought out of the curse of all sickness and disease. I've been bought out of poverty and lack. No, he'll tell you, you'll never have enough money. I'm telling you, if you don't mess with him, when he messes with you, he'll keep messing with you. He'll tell you, man, what if your washer breaks down? What are you going to do? You know you don't have enough money. And oh my gosh, what if you hit a pothole in Omaha, since we live on the moon right now, right? <laughs> what if you hit a pothole and you can't pay for that tire? What are you going to do? I mean, we laugh. There's people, there are people that, I mean, a couple hundred dollars could, might as well be a million. And they live right with us. And we are to have a full and overflowing supply to where we're ready to help them, but not just give them a fish. No, 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 no. Let's teach them how to fish. Well, guess what? You can't give what you don't have. So we secure the word of God on the inside of us. We have to do that. Securing God's word means I take the word as my foundation of my prayer of faith. And I'm not moving off of it. Right? And then when the enemy comes, I'm going to use it as written. And I'm going to speak the word to him because he'll flee as in terror. So principle three, you got to maintain a pure heart. This is a big one. This is so huge. If you read, you know, actually I'll read it. You know, I might have it in my notes. Let me just go to this real quick. In Mark chapter 11, you could turn there. I want you to look at this. I know we're kind of winding down a little bit, but we've got time. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22 it says, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. You could translate this, have the faith of God, have the God kind of faith. And now Jesus is going to explain, as we've said before, a very clear and concise definition of how faith operates, the faith of God. He says this, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall do what? Come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So we see that faith, the faith of God, has everything to do with what you say. If you look at that verse, it talks about believing one time, it talks about saying three times. But then the next verse, verse 23, look at what it says, or that was 23, look at 24. Chapter, verse 24 talks about the prayer of faith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So there's a time between believing you receive until you have them. Notice you have to believe you receive something for you to have it in this realm. And notice there was no time frame given. Didn't say, and you'll have them in two weeks. Right? So Satan, that's why Satan always wants to put it in time. That's why time tests faith. Man, you've been believing God for a long time. Right? Forget all that. Forget time. I've, I already have it. I'm not trying to get something. I have it. But now look at verse 25. 
in, in the, and he's talking about the operation of faith. Look at what he mentions. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against anyone, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Hasn't that ever given you any issue, problem before? We read over this stuff. But if you look at it biblically, if I don't forgive, then God's not going to forgive me my trespasses. Does that mean I'm not saved? Because Romans tells me all of my sin was condemned 2,000 years ago in the body of Jesus. What are we talking about here? Do you see how we, we really... Jesus isn't talking about that. We have to read it if you study hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation. You have to look at things in the context. You have to look at verse 5 in the context of operating in the faith of God. We're not talking about he's not going to forgive me so I can't be saved. Does that make sense a little bit? It's in the context of operating in the faith of God. Jesus is saying the number one hindrance to faith, operating effectively in your life, the number one hindrance is unforgiveness. Now, I got to tell you, when you read that, most, when you think about forgiveness, you're just kind of like, well, I pretty much forgive everybody. Right? Here's a person. Let's just start with just a real, let, let's start with one person. We'll, who should we pick on? I know, we'll pick on Jake. Since you got to be God, you get to be God in a lot of these things too, right? So Jake, I would venture to say, you probably don't really have anybody in your life that you are like, man, I just will not forgive them. Okay. What about yourself? Have you ever had trouble forgiving yourself? See, the Bible says hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering. That word profession means to say the same thing. So whenever you want to beat yourself up, you got to realize, wait a minute. No, no, I, I, you know, God forgave me. So I need to forgive myself. Do you know the whole Pauline revelation says when you realize that, that's how you walk free of everything. But any, any unforgiveness towards anyone. Do you know there has been people, see, here's the problem. You get in pride or you get offended and you think you're right. So all of a sudden you're not walking in love. You're not walking in any kind of forgiveness you're literally walking around as a judge. You sit, sit in restaurants and listen to people's conversation. It's all, so-and-so's doing that, so-and-so's doing Judge, 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 judge. And people don't even realize it. So to walk in this verse, guys, we have to be led by the Spirit of God. We have to go humbly before the Lord and say, listen, help me. I desire to walk in complete forgiveness, right? Because in all this stuff, show me if I'm not seeing something. Help me to see. 
Because it's very clear. It, see, in this passage of scripture, it's not saying that God won't forgive your sins if you don't forgive others. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the context of operating in faith. See, because in the context of operating in faith, your willingness to forgive triggers God's mercy regarding your faith in action. You got to understand that. Literally, when your walk in a willingness to forgive anyone who's ever wronged you, willing to forgive yourself, what happens now is it triggers God's mercy regarding your action of faith. It helps you in your faith walk. God's forgiveness towards you cannot work in the context of faith unless you operate in forgiveness. That's what it's talking about. Your unforgiveness stops the power of God from working for you through faith. Does that, does that make sense? I just want to bring a little clarity to that because if you look at prayer, do you know in the whole Bible there's only one prayer that was not answered? When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed, there was a son conceived. And David prayed that that son would not die. And in the wording, even God could not stop that son from dying because you could see it right in the story. David had no confidence before God. That's the only time. There's no New Testament unanswered prayer. Isn't that good news? I love that. No New Testament unanswered prayer. 1 John chapter 3. I want you to see this. And we're going to finish in 1 John here. 1 John chapter 3 verse 19. It says, And hereby... We know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. We need to have a heart that is assured before him. Verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Why does it say it like that? See, when, when you get discouraged, it says here, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. When you get discouraged, God's word will tell you that you are not condemned. That's what it says here. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He will keep you out of condemning yourself. That's what his word will do. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. It's a little vague in the King James because that word is not plural. In the Greek language, it's because we keep his commandment. Okay? And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. His commandment, it's found in John 13, 34 and 35, right? A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. 
By this, all men will know that you're my disciples because of the way you love one another. That's the commandment. But it's, look at that verse 21. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Notice keeping his commandments, doing those things that are pleasing in his sight, having answered prayer, is all based on you and I having confidence before God. So many believers don't have confidence before God because they haven't forgiven themselves. All they're doing is looking at all their shortcomings. And remember, salvation is not based on your behavior. It is based on Jesus. Isn't that good news? He, he already paid the price. Keeping his commandment is connected to your heart, not condemning you. Wow, his, see, his word corrects us into having confidence in him. Isn't that awesome? I'll close with this. In Proverbs 28, 1, it says this. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because we have confidence towards God. I know my God loves me. I know he's for me. I know he's with me. And he's greater than anything I will ever face. So surely by his stripes I'm healed. Surely he meets all my needs according to his riches and glory. Surely the greater one that is on the inside of me has already given me the victory in him. So what do we do? We know our enemy. We secure the word of God on the inside of us. And we maintain a pure heart. We examine our heart. You could always tell, because if you don't have confidence, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He'll, he'll give you the word of God, and the word of God will come, and it'll build confidence so that you have confidence. You don't come cowardly before the throne of God. You're to come boldly. Right? To obtain mercy. That means, see, when you think you do some really cool stuff, you come strutting into the throne of God going, hey, here I am, God. I know you're pleased with me. And, and he's just kind of looking at you going, wow. Right? No, no. But when you really see things as they really are, when you messed up and you chose wrong and you did everything wrong for no matter how long, but then you came to a place because the Holy Spirit's never beat you up. He's always prompting you to change your mind. And when you come to that place where you simply change your mind, you need to realize because of Jesus, it's all still there for you. And you could lay hold of healing from stage four cancer when you've knowingly rejected God as a child of God for 40 years. You can still lay hold of it because it's not based on you. It was never given to you based on you. It was given to you and done for you based on Jesus. Do you believe that? See, this is the gospel. And we're going to pre keep preaching it. Amen. Amen.